don't touch my nipples <laughs> without asking. This definitely isn't Soviet Russia. <laughs> Hey, welcome to Mount Rushmore, where each episode we swap out the faces of an enormous portrait of our nationalist heroes, Lenin, Marx, Tolstoy, and Boris, and Natasha. And I'm joined, as always, by my friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Da. Da. And this episode's <laughs> subject, which you may have guessed just from hearing uh, Michael's affirmative uh, in the Russian language. This episode is the Mount Rushmore of movies, TV shows, songs, and pop culture that depict a ridiculously naive and dated fear of Soviet Russia. That's going to not. That's gonna be hard to get in the Twitter, Soviet, by the way. Just put it in, in like a Russian Cyrillic. That's right. Oh, does it not count then? <laughs> it's one character. It's so one it's character. Good. This was my choice. And now I'm just trying to think um, why it is my choice. I guess because... Um, because we're currently living in a fear of yeah. Russia taking over the United States. Oh, no, wait, that happened. <laughs> that is so, uh, so actually very, very current right now. Uh, but I, I grew up during the Cold War and a lot of the entertainment that was uh, uh, popular at that time, whenever you wanted to depict a big, big problem, it was the some whatever was happening behind the Iron Curtain or whatever menace was coming from a uh, foreign entity and i grew up during the uh, kind of the arms race and this idea that at any point we could just blow each other off the planet with our weapons of mass destruction that were actually real and not imagined um so i was always impressed by the drama and melodrama in a lot of the entertainment it could be music it could be movies it could be cartoons it could be anything and in hindsight some of that is viewed as melodramatic and some of it might even be viewed as extreme but it was all very real for us in that time uh but it's kind of fun to look back and to um examine that entertainment and, and uh, judge the heck out of it so um i chose the category but i'm going to ask richard to go first sure and my first one is ivan drago from Rocky Four, okay. also on my list. Yeah, oh. I, I figured this would be a, a joint pick. Yeah. It's pretty much the uh, he was the culmination of Russian fear and yeah. strength and em embodiment of yeah. It. I mean, I think he uh, he was this terrifying force in the movie, and I think he has like eight, you, eight lines. Do you mean the Siberian Express, Ivan Drago? Yes. Do you mean the Siberian Bull, Ivan Drago? Yes, <laughs> I believe his Death uh, from Above, death Ivan Drago. From above, yes. Um, a amateur record of one one hundred win, wins and one loss. That's, I love, I love, I love that. I love that they had to, they had to get to one hundred. He had to, he had to murder probably a <laughs> hundred lesser beings before he faced Rocky. So right, but Ro in, in amateur fights though. Rocky fought um, a lot of American foes, but I love that by the time. He got to that movie that he had to go outside of the United States in order to, to to find another foe. No, but he he Drago kills Apollo. He fought he fought a hundred tomato cans before he got to Rocky, but it was the USSR, so it was literally tomato. This, it was a tomato can, but it was one <laughs> that he just fought over and over. And, and he over. had to wait in line six months <laughs> to get that tomato can. What? Why did you pick Ivan Drago? Because as Michael said, it so much of the cold. I, I think partially because so much of the Cold War wound up playing out in. Sports, yeah. I mean, you have the Miracle on Ice. You know, you have all these events where every Olympics for a long time, you know, it was the U.S. versus the Soviet Union. You know, we boycotted them in '80, and they boycotted us in '84. And so it really was this um, level of competitive dick swinging. Well, it, it's funny, it's especially fu in the female sports. <laughs> hey yo, that should be the East Germans though. Hey yo, it's funny how if you can't fight a war. 
you're going to settle it on the wrestling mat or you, you're going to settle it in some sort of sports to show your dominance. And I think with Russia, especially when like steroids were such a, in accusations of doping came out around in the early 80s as well, Ivan Drago ended up being this abnormal creature. It couldn't just be that he was this peak physical specimen. He was also doing something bad. They show him. He's they show him needles doing... putting stuff and stuff put in him. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what it is, you, but it's implied. He's you... not getting a flu shot. <laughs> <laughs> Please, no, oh, do not give me flu shot. More... I have sensitive skin. <laughs> the Cold War as kind of initiated via science by like Sputnik going up in uh, orbit. It almost feels like science is the way that we also were intimidated by the Soviet Union. We we were told at some points that they had superior things like rockets or ships and and the idea that they could uh, engineer a, a chemically and physically superior boxer through Drago almost feel like what that franchise needed because Rocky had already beat up everybody. Like right, if he in the U.S. He could beat up any normal human, right? So the next step up, if it wasn't for Ivan Drago, I think he would have fought like Rock Godzilla. Rock'em, Sock'em Robots yes. or yeah. something, yeah. The real I, Steel would have happened a lot sooner. <laughs> I, yeah, I think there's an element of that where it's just Drago is portrayed as not as a person. But as an ide- kind of an idealized version of the Soviet state, yeah. he is as uh, chiseled as a statue of Lenin. <laughs> in yeah. front of Len- Lenin, by the way, pretty good boxer in his pretty state. Good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because like had a right sickle. You know, uh, Dolph Lundgren is kind of actually that person. He's like a he's a brilliant mind. He's yeah. not he's not only this six foot four like Adonis yeah. like creature but he's Full also right scholar in biochemistry <laughs> he's like he's like a genius as well and that should be actually more frightening than would a genius hook up with grace jones <laughs> well okay <laughs> yeah i i think then the way they tell the story is that it's the battle of american individualism and rocky somebody who built himself up yeah from nothing to become rocky balboa versus someone who is Almost literally byproduct of the state, just a te- made in a test tube almost. Yeah, and that's when you get that the montage scene where Rocky's out there by himself in the you know, and we've talked about this on, on sure. the montage episode. Hearts of fire, yeah, where's on fire, yeah, where you've just got him, you know, deadlifting Polly and uh, <laughs> running th- run, running through the mountains, and you've got Drago with all this high tech equipment, yeah. and that's to your point, like that technology thing. It's sort of the idea of you may have the technology, you may be using kind of unfair means sort of sort of like in the space race where they didn't care if they if 80 of them you know astronauts cosmonauts died as long as they got somebody up there first it didn't matter yeah so it's like they will use any means necessary Mm -hmm. but we'll still prevail because of our you know rugged american exceptionalism blah 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 yeah Yeah. there's there's two things one it's funny how the roles well the, the roles obviously change within the movie because by the end of the movie you know, all of the, the Russian premiere or, and, you know, the entire crowd is suddenly on Rocky's side because he's has so much spirit and he won't give up. But then Drago also changes. Yeah, he tells the uh, handler to fuck off, basically. Yeah, and he's like, I fight for me. I'm not fighting for you. I fight because I want to win. Yeah. And so he, even he, who's the evil one, takes on that persona of, like, the individual rather than someone that's fighting for the state. Uh-huh. But then the other thing I wanted to say real quick was... It's funny to see commercials now and you see American athletes using technology hooked up to these 
breathing machines running on treadmills with all of the fancy technology. It's it's funny to see how that is something that is so welcome now. Is this Dorito technology? Because <laughs> I saw that commercial. That's what I run on. <laughs> Can we make him cool ranchier than he was before? <laughs> the $6 million oh. chips. Sure, Tom Brady can throw a football. <laughs> what if he was cool ranchier? Oh, that's the best. But, but now, now technology's embraced... We've we've embraced yeah. yeah we've embraced being like well sure of course we're going to use science we you know defeated those defeated the rescues and now of course now this is yeah it's not just running up hills with a log on your back yeah and uh, there's a whole backstory about what happens after the movie that I think he I think Drago winds up coming back to the U S and becoming like a two time world champion after like Rocky retires uh-huh. and they wind up becoming like friends. He moves back, moves to the U S is this your fan fiction? Or is this <laughs> and then they start, they gaze longingly into oh, each other's oh, eyes, no. shipping Balboa and, and Drago shipping Balboa. <laughs> but I did think it was interesting that like, he didn't make an appearance in any of the, like the Rocky Balboa movie or anything after that, even oh, though yeah. in some, I guess it's like the star Wars universe. I guess there's an official Rocky universe. Oh, of course. He, where he's like, he, he has this whole backstory and, you know, they call back to Creed so many times, but they didn't call back to like him or Clubber Lang. The Kevin J. Anderson edited Tales from Rocky's Gym isn't that popular. <laughs> no. The, in Creed, it was, Creed was such a change of genre from the other Rocky films. Creed was like a drama and the Rocky films are boxing pictures. And right. Cre- after the first one, especially. But Creed. Definitely, uh, the the title character holds Balboa accountable for his father's death. That movie, it was like death in a cartoon. Yeah, this was just throw, throw the damn towel. <laughs> yeah, that one. Uh, that's funny. Okay, so you know uh, I, by the way, you know who I, I hold responsible for his death? James Brown. James Brown, right? His boastful "Living in America" performance. Yeah, that wild drug turned him into a wild man. Yeah, he's going station to station. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Michael, what's your choice? Uh, my next one is Yakov Shmirnov. Oh, right on. Stand-up comedian, um, permanent resident of Branson, Missouri Branson, nowadays. Missouri. He was the way that you could feel okay about being scared of Russia. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because he came over in the mid-'80s. Um, he started out uh, playing, I guess, kind of related to you, Jeff. He was... He, didn't start, you didn't start out this way, but you've done cruises. Oh, yeah. He oh, was yeah. doing cruises in the Black Sea <laughs> and eventually uh, worked his way over from the Ukraine to, uh, you know, America and started, you know, becoming a very, uh-huh. I don't know if he was a very popular, but he was definitely a singular, a singularly identifiable comic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially with like his two, he had two, you know, his two big jokes were the what a country jokes and then the Russian reversal jokes. Yeah. And, Which are still used to this day by by people. I yeah. mean, that's that's a sign that your bit, I guess, worked, or yeah. at least was mm-hmm. broad enough that it, it it could hit. You don't have people do bits like that anymore. No, and certainly he doesn't do them as as much anymore. Uh, in an interview, after after basically the the Russian the Soviet Union collapsed, um, there was like a late night with David Letterman top ten list, and the number one reason why of things that are going to happen after the Soviet Union collapse was like Yakov Shmirnov is out of a job. <laughs> and he kind of realized that like all of his bookings dried up. Oh, wow. And after that, he changed his stand up from what a country and, you know, in country, you know, in, in Soviet Russia, in, in America, 
you watch uh, Big Brother and Soviet Russia, Big Brother watches you. <laughs> that, that sort of stuff turned into like, as he calls it, it's part of his bit. He's like the real Cold War is happening in the home between like uh, husbands and wives. Yeah. So like he shifted his entire career. Af- one hacky bit to another. <laughs> yeah, into like just marriage jokes. Uh-huh. And he's been doing it from, from like 92 to like 2015 in his own theater in Branson, Missouri, which have either of you guys been there? I have no. not. <laughs> oh, that, was, that was awkward. That was great. It, so, yeah, he's received a master's degree in positive psychology, whatever that is, yeah, from the University making, of Pennsylvania. It's <laughs> making people laugh from the clown college. <laughs> you know, Nadia Comaneci emigrated in 1989 to the U.S. She hasn't got any good jokes. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> when it, when, it, when the, the last kind of the last button I'll put on, <laughs> the last button I'll put on this is that he eventually became a U.S. citizen mm-hmm. and has spent like ever since like nine eleven or maybe even before that uh, he spent like the last fifteen years like painting patriotic paintings That's and crazy. paintings yeah. of, like the Statue of Liberty and how great it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, he made his his money here and continues to, and he's an yeah. American citizen, so he has every right. But yeah. like. Uh, it's great to see someone who actually does enjoy this country yeah. for a change. Yeah. All right, Richard, what's your next choice? My next choice is, broadly speaking, wrestlers from the Soviet Union in the 1970s and 80s. Oh, wow. Okay. Just a whole schmear of wrestlers. Yeah. I will, specific, <laughs> I will specifically, for the sake of, of the Rushmore, I will specifically say uh, Nikolai Volkov. Sure. From... WWF in the 80s, but we could be Ivan Koloff. We could be uh, Nikita Koloff. We could be Ivan the Crusher. We, there's so many of these. And <laughs> How many all were the real? How many were real? Um, let's see. I know Nikita, Nikolai Volkov was like from Yugoslavia mm-hmm. and then came over. Um, I know that uh, Nikita Koloff, who was a big NWA, fought with against like Dusty Rhodes and those guys. Yeah, he was from New Jersey. His real name's like Scott Peterson or something yeah. like that. Um, Wait, isn't that a murderer? It's not Scott Peterson. <laughs> okay, okay. It's like Scott Smith. Or <laughs> okay. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, so it's like 50-50, I think. Probably. And, and yeah. even the ones who are... I think even the ones who aren't born in America, it's usually not... usually wasn't actually Russia. It was some yeah. Eastern European country or, again, you know, Ivan Drago, played by a Swede, yeah, Dolph Lundgren. Great way to get instant heat is just to be from Russia. <laughs> Boo! Hate that. Why? I don't know. He's from Russia. Boo! Yeah. So yes. I'm from Leningrad, Mexico. <laughs> Boo! Boo! Two things we don't understand. <laughs> Boo! Boo! So it's a, funny you mention that. I'll just to sidetrack for a second. Uh, Nikita or yeah, Nikita Koloff was like one of the big bad guys in the 1980s and. NWA slash WCW. They actually turned him into a fan favorite because one of the wrestlers he was was having a big feud with went legitimately getting in a car accident that ended his career. And so they used that as the impetus to have him say, I respected him so much that, that you know, someone tried to attack him at some point and he ran in to save him. And so they flipped him to a good guy. Hmm. Nobody gave a shit about him really after that. Killed yeah. the character. Yeah. But yeah, I love specifically... Nikolai Volkov, mm-hmm. because he had the the most incredible heat generating machine for a wrestler ever, which is, and we may have talked about this in the heel moves episode. He would make them stop at the, after he did his uh, entrance and play the Soviet national anthem, <laughs> and he would sing along with it. Oh, wow. and it was just yeah, instant 
you were booing, people were booing who I'm sure knew it was fake. Mm-hmm. That's Just out of the instinct. Yeah. Of that's bad. I think I need to boo that. Mm-hmm. I love, I think this is a very nice pick. I love that it still continues today with like Rusev. Yeah. Who, uh, Jeff, he, there's a wrestler that's wrestling today who's, I think he's, he's Bulgarian. He's Bulgarian. But at some point, he declared his affection for Vladimir Putin and Russia. Okay. And he started uh, running around the ring with this giant Russian flag yeah. and saluting Russia and, and came, saluting Putin. Wow. And came to WrestleMania riding a tank. He came and he was riding this <laughs> giant tank. And like, I like the idea that all you need to do is still just be from Russia <laughs> and you can just be pegged. It's, it's just easily peggable as a bad guy. Yeah, yeah like Trump. <laughs> Easily. I'm sorry, President Trump. If he has, if he hasn't been impeached by the time this one comes out, yeah, it's we'll only have it, to re-edit that if it happens. It's been two and a half days, and so we, who knows? Could what's, be. The, what's the over under six? Yeah. So it it but, was also funny to me to see like the remember the Rock and Wrestling like a uh, sure cartoon, and he was on there, but he was like this bumbling like kind of version of himself. You know, kind of the stereotypical Russian. I don't understand what this thing is. Well, you just team him up with. Uh, who is who is Iron Sheik? Iron Sheik. Yeah, they they were tag another, team champions for a long foreigner. time. Which it's like, well, we've got a Soviet guy, we've got an Iranian guy. What do they yep. have in common? Nailed it. They both hate America. Yeah. I got an idea. <laughs> the Antarctic wrestler didn't catch on very much. You know, it's funny. Is, I in in entertainment there were so many Russian villains, and in real life I have only encountered them as the people who were smoking in the DMV. Okay, so in Glendale, your former hometown, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a pool hall there. And you go in in the front, there's just pool tables. In the back, they've got the actual billiards, which okay. is different. It's got like the big, bigger tables oh. and all that stuff. And it's just all, it's smoke-filled, bunch yeah. of Russians. Yeah. I went back there to play one time, and I really felt like I was walking in on some sort of like deal. Yeah. It was happening, and they really wanted me to leave. Yeah. Well, all right, we are at the halftime, and this is the moment where I implore you to go to the Mount Rushmore Podcast website and check that out, and then go to our Mount Rushmore Podcast Facebook page and uh, get in the dialogue. There are a lot of places uh, there where people are having discussions about the subjects we discuss on this podcast, and a lot of places where you can enter in your opinions about our choices or about topics that you'd like to hear discussed in the future. And then, of course, there's our Instagram and our Twitter that we would enjoy if you would follow. But hey, if I could ask you to do one thing, it would be go to the iTunes page for Mount Rushmore Podcast. Download, rate, and review. In the Soviet Union, iTunes reviews you. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Thank you. The Russian seal. The Russian seal. God, that was amazing. So, uh, yeah, please uh, do us the solid of going down there, checking out uh, old episodes, current episodes, and then just, you know, give us the one to five stars, whatever you think about it. Please be honest. And then... uh, Not that honest. Yeah, not that fucking honest. And then review if you would. Uh, We'd love to, legitimately love to see your feedback on it. And I think it would help other people find the podcast and see if it's right for them. My next choice is the Worker and Parasite cartoon from The Simpsons from the episode Krusty Gets Cancelled. Uh, it is Fantastic. It is a 15, 20-second cartoon. The story is that uh, there is a new thing coming into town called Gabbo, and no one knows what it is, and Gabbo <laughs> is coming. And you find out that it's a 
ventriloquist and his dummy named Gabo. And it's apparently a children's show that's coming in and everyone is, because it's The Simpsons, everyone becomes instantly infatuated in it and is obsessed with it. And that seems to happen quite a bit where the town just gets collectively stupid. <laughs> and uh, so Krusty the Clown, uh, who has you know a stranglehold on children's entertainment, you know, I guess, and fast food uh, in the town, suddenly finds that his cartoon, Itchy and Scratchy, uh, which is, you know, a cat and mouse take off on a... Uh, Tom and Jerry uh, moves over to the now wildly more popular Gabo show, and he is stuck with uh, Worker in Parasite, a cartoon out of <laughs> 1956 uh, Eastern Europe. And I chose this because it's all in all confusing and funny and silly and kind of depressing. Mm-hmm. And I think it helped to play on the fears of how horrible even the entertainment was potentially yeah. in Europe yeah. uh, or in uh, the Soviet Union. It starts with cabbage and <laughs> it ends with entertainment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in like the fifties and sixties. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, it's a parody on the cartoons that came out of that era, which were kind of strange, mm-hmm. but I think they're probably very culturally relevant and reflexive of the life that yeah. is actually around and watching this cartoon. You see like the cat and mouse just jumping around and, in the background are just like people standing in line for food. Yeah. They're like, not making any sense. For, for all our flaws and um, the um, capitalist um, sponsor driven entertainment that we have in the United States, there's no ministry of communication that controls the message. <laughs> in, <laughs> not in, yet. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, um, uh, we, we bore ourselves for other reasons, but that they, the fun constructivist art, that we see depicted and how it just looks so bizarre. It doesn't look anything like a cat, a cat or mouse, really. And, but yet, perhaps, some Russian got an imported bootleg of Tom and Jerry, and that inspired it to begin with. So. I listened to a pretty great podcast a couple of weeks Wait, ago. Wait, better than this? Yeah, yeah, that's your opinion. Hold I on. Said, well, let's see. <laughs> hey, guys, I said pretty great. Okay. Uh, it was uh, called... Uh, 99% Invisible, and in it they talk about the uh, what happens when music made its way and like technology made its way to Russia mm. and how a tape recorder would make its way, that, you know, would somehow get out of the United States and somehow get into the USSR and someone's job would be to take it apart, figure out how to make it, and put it back together in whatever way they possibly could and the same happened with cartoons basically entertainment got out of the united states you know not not that hard to get it out it's Mm -hmm. just harder to get it into into the ussr and then they'd have their own interpretations of it so i like the idea of this american product of tom and jerry yeah and it turning around and being this really confusing mess and sadness yeah. in, in Soviet Union. It's very easy to get sucked, by the way, into a YouTube uh, time suck watching clips of Soviet era, 70s, 80s variety shows. Are oh, they, wow. are they confusing commercials. too? They're less confusing and more shoddy. Oh, okay. Mm. It definitely has that SCTV quality to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. A boom mic comes into the screen and <laughs> yeah. they're just like, that's fine. Or it's just like all like, it's the 70s, but it, everything looks like a Lawrence Welk mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think of the SCTV skit. Uh, Jeff, you watch SCTV a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. When John Candy basically did the uh, 
the weightlifter with his yeah. own uh, variety show. Yeah, yeah. Yuri hey, Yorgi, he's coming to your town. Hey, Yorgi. <laughs> yeah, that's basically yeah. that's basically what yeah. it really was happening in the Soviet <laughs> Union. You know, last week we talked about um, the Red Elvises as like this this act that came out of the Ukraine, or was it or Russia? I can't remember. It was Ukraine. It was Ukraine. Ukraine, your neck, I break it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was an American-influenced band that had their own spin on it. And I like I liked the idea of something coming in, getting chopped up, and just the representation of this on The yeah. Simpsons, which is very, you know, they're very cognizant mm-hmm. of all of that stuff. I am kicking myself now, by the way, that I did not submit the... Uh, SCTV episode. Oh, hey, Yorgi. Yeah. Well, no, the whole episode the whole, that was yeah. supposed to be taken over from Russian from television. Russia. Yeah, like Russian television took over the satellite, uh-huh. and we're broadcasting like crappy Soviet television. Via chance, it. I think one of the, was one of their shows Revenge, and it was like a, a it was a show about revenge, or it was, it was like, like Candid real. Camera, but it was yeah. like a Soviet version yeah. of it, and like you went to jail at the end, yeah. if I remember correctly. <laughs> Crime and punishment. <clears throat> okay, um, Richard, what's your next choice? That's a good question. Okay, I'll ask it again. Richard, what's your next choice? Now use the nails. You say you're gonna <laughs> say you're gonna use it with a ask them the same question but with the pliers. Okay. My next, what's your next choice? <laughs> don't touch my nipples. <laughs> without asking. <laughs> this definitely isn't Soviet <laughs> Russia. <laughs> my next choice is the song Russians by Sting. Ah, uh, okay. Otherwise, mm. I gotta say that, that was the vibe that was in hitting hitting me when I chose this. Uh, was it? Yeah, just maudlin. Maudlin. That's on exactly both the sides. one I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. Oh God, Sting. Yeah, I, I remember the Onion article that was by Sting, and it was titled, <laughs> "Hey, I used to be pretty hip once." <laughs> About him going into some store and hearing this kind of weird reggae but kind of punk jazz yeah. thing. And I asked the guy at the counter what it was, and he said, it's police. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, I was in the police. <laughs> and so we get to, you know, whatever, East, you know, mid-80s yeah. after Sting has left the police because mm-hmm. to go explore shitty solo projects, yeah. increasingly yeah. shitty solo projects. And we get to the song Russians, mm-hmm. which is... Of course, if, if you remember the song, you remember the chorus with the, I hope the Russians love their children, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, and it is such like this maudlin, preachy. We were, we were the United States was very preachy in the eighties in terms of we are the world, mm-hmm. yeah. And this song and telling telling other people how how you guys you should really be this way when we as a country were pretty shitty yeah. as well. Well, that was I think in searching in researching that song and trying to think. Why the hell was it so melodramatic? Re- trying right. to remember, like if you think of today, you'll see a little blip that says North Korea may have one in one thousandth percent of having nuclear. <laughs> right. And in that, when I see that, I go, huh? Huh? <laughs> well, we were one hundred fifty percent that Russia had nuclear missiles, and they hated us, and had them pointed at all <laughs> of our pointed cities. at all of our cities, and uh, this. Wiki basically said the song was about mutually assured destruction. Just this yeah. agreement that we were just both going to demolish each other. Like Coke and Pepsi wanted to just wipe each other out. So, Yeah, I uh, the, the scant research I actually did this week, uh, the one thing I did see was that Sting said he wrote this song because he was friends with like a, a, a professor at Columbia who would get like satellite video feeds mm-hmm. of Soviet television. Mm-hmm. And they would go over and watch it. 
and he was just kind of struck by how the children's programming in the Soviet Union was so much like the U.S. Oh yeah, I mean it wasn't like the, uh, you know, the yeah. Palestinian Sesame Street yeah sort of thing. It was like you know, very much the same things trying to teach kids how to read and write and how yeah. to be good to each other and all this stuff. Yeah, and that's why he said he wrote the song. Oh okay, so there's there I'm sure there's an element of mutually assured destruction. Yeah, but it's a bad song. But also linen shirts. And also ribbon dancers. I think the the video has a girl doing ribbon dancing or something. Yeah, like that. I, it's this it's it's this preachy idea, and it's funny that we said the uh, U.S. even though Sting is actually British. not American. Yeah, yeah. But it's just this idea of like, well, I think they're actually good people in in the Soviet yeah. Union. It's like, well, no shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, like yeah, ninety nine percent of the world is good people. And, yeah, uh, our... and, and, and especially by that point, I think like. Perestroika had already started to take over by mm-hmm. that point. I mean, we weren't in the deep Cold War at that point. Yeah, I think Billy Joel had been annoying them, you know, like doing <laughs> concerts by then. We'd already sent Billy Joel over there yeah. as our emissary slash spy slash <laughs> first weapon. The, uh... We have weaponized Billy Joel. <laughs> uh, the, also the fact that at that time, our country was being led by, they had Paul professional politicians we had an actor who was running our company our country too our company. so our country same thing boy it's just one big corporation man yeah okay uh does that no that leaves us with michael's last choice uh my last choice is you know we talked we've been talking a lot about the fear and i don't know if this is on yours richard uh like red dawn thought about it oh, yeah. not on there yeah. is it on jeff is it on yours nope. and that was a movie that ba- <laughs> that really went out of its way to show you what World War Three was going to be like and, you know, strike it at an American town. And I, I kept thinking of, like, what would happen, like, the idea of fear, or what would happen if the Soviets took over or whatever, and it led me to my last pick, which is uh, the comic book Superman Red Sun, which mm. is a uh, DC comic, which Marvel has their what-ifs, they had like a series yeah. of comics sure, was like, yeah. what if this happened very easily? DC has a version called Elseworlds. And it supposes what would happen if the, uh, you know, the rocket that brought Superman to Earth happened a couple hours later and Earth turned and it landed in yeah. Soviet Russia. Mm-hmm. And it's the stories about Superman growing up on like this Ukrainian collective and you know, growing up, is still as a farmer's son, he st- he still has this strange, innate sense of good, but it's colored by the Soviet Union, yeah. and it's co- colored by him being the defender of the people's, you know, the people of Russia, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a great comic by Mike uh, Miller or Mike Millar, I can't remember how you say it, and uh, Dave Johnson. I think there's another artist. Or is it Johnson? I can't remember. <laughs> I, I looked at this comic and I was just impressed by how well it dealt. So there, some of this stuff we're discussing happened during the Cold War and some happens after. And this happened in 2003, I think it was first published. It came out in 2003. Yeah. So does that fit into the, into the theme? Because isn't the theme uh, naive or outdated ideas we had of... Well, Krusty, that happened afterwards too I, I guess what i think is something that well i think something that plays with that idea of what soviet russia was whether it happened then or not and whether it has like a very i i, I guess for the reason i i chose it was that it 
it was the idea that the Soviet Union had corrupted the thing that was the most American thing, and that is Superman. Mm-hmm. And so sure. Sup- Superman, this you know, he stood up for truth, justice in the American way, and um, in the uh, in this comic, he stood up for uh, uh, hold on, the Warsaw Pact or something. Yeah, like that, yeah, the champion of the common worker who fights a never-ending battle for St- Stalin's socialism and the expansion of the Warsaw yeah, Pact. Yeah, and the comic is good. You know, it it crams a lot of like the DC universe into it. Like, there's a Batman type character. Mm-hmm. Who, like a Russian Batman who's an underground crime fighter who basically mm-hmm. wants to take down uh, Superman. Lex Luthor is ultimately the American good guy. Right. Um, the end of the book is wild. It's totally unexpected, mm-hmm. and I won't spoil it, but it's all about Lex Luthor, this American, trying to take down Superman with American science. Is this President Lex Luthor? He eventually does become President Lex Luthor in this, yes. What I found... in it was a different President Luthor than the one that you referenced one, in their first in episode. First episode, yes. The wild, the, the patriotism. <laughs> so this book, this story points out a couple of things. It, it points out the ridiculous side of the coin, and that is how, how um, by the fifties or by the time Superman had had had, but when this story is told, I think it's in the fifties. It start it? it starts out in the fifties and yeah. goes goes into like the seventies so, and eighties. So yeah. Eisenhower is president, but there's also like kind of the the darker side of protecting our country against um, non-patriotic, non-American activities. Yeah, we're in the heart of McCarthyism. So so it points out the dogma of the U.S., not just the Soviet. So I I think, and it gives a light to what Superman represented to people, and that is this defender of truth, justice, in the American way, who is ridiculous. You know, who who isn't, in this case, he's, he's essentially a god, and he can do anything. Yeah. But... What I love about this book is because it, it, sh- it shows the cartoonish, uh, brash patriotism as well as this this uh, red menace Soviet sickle wielding nightmare that we thought. Yeah, super, yeah, Superman's like emblem is replaced with a Soviet sickle instead of the S. Yeah, and he's a little bit darker in tone and everything, but uh, I, I just like that the idea of Superman is being corrupted by the Soviet Union, but ultimately, you know the. Americans still win. Yeah. Hey guys, what would have happened if Superman would have landed in Fiji? Ooh, what if What if Custer actually didn't die? <laughs> <laughs> what if chocolate and peanut butter missed each other and just went on their merry way and never <laughs> intertwined into the Reese's cup that I love? <laughs> the yeah, chocolate and peanut butter is going off into the friskulating dusk light. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that. Okay, so Richard, what's your final choice? Final choice. Let's, let's lighten this up a little bit, guys. I got a little dark there with the Superman. Yeah, okay. So I'm going with the classic movie Ninochka. Oh, yeah. Uh, starring Greta Garbo in her Greta Sp- or Garbo Speaks role, the first time she did a, a talkie hmm. in America. Um, and an Ernst Lubitsch movie uh, co-written with uh, Billy Wilder. Billy Wilder. And Is it Melvin Douglas? Douglas? Melvin Douglas. Yeah, it plays the male lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, a count who is attempting to reclaim diamonds that were s- taken, I believe, from a countess who had to flee Russia after the revolution. Mm-hmm. So she has these diamonds and things that she is trying to get back. The Soviets currently have them, like in in France, and they're coming to try to get them. And there's these two Soviet emissaries who are basically just played as stooges. And they wind up not being able to do it. They kind of wind up falling in love with the capitalist system. Mm-hmm. 
So they send over Ninochka. It's Greta Garbo who's like the, the icy caricature of the Russian female. Who's supposed to be come over here, get shit done, get everything fixed, and get back out. Yeah. yeah but then over time, eventually becomes seduced by Melvin Douglas because... Mm-hmm. You know, who wouldn't have been seduced by Melvin Douglas? <laughs> don't see a lot of Melvins anymore, especially his romantic yeah, leads. Yeah. Um, and sort of, he cracks the icy exterior, and she winds up, you know, abandoning the end, mm-hmm. sort of the Soviet Union, and, you know, coming to the West. Yeah. Meanwhile, you've got the two uh, kind of bumbling... Uh, other Russian guys. Mm-hmm. And over time, they've just fallen in love with everything that's <laughs> that's like Western. It all takes place in France. And last scene is one of them holding a sign that says, he's oppressing me. And I think the other one has the same sign. They're <laughs> like just pointing at each other. Yeah. Which is a, a really, like Billy Wilder seemed to always have to have those like buttons mm-hmm. on the movies. Yeah. You know, like the, some like it hot. The yeah. Of, you know, nope, eh, nobody's perfect. Yeah. Nobody's perfect. perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and I chose this. I mean, a it's super, it's incredibly iconic. It's like the Garbo mm-hmm. role, not the Gabo role, by the way. <laughs> Garbo's coming. Gar- Garbo's coming. <laughs> um, and it is, I think, to me the proto- the. It's a couple of prototypes that were set. One was the Ice Queen mm-hmm. from Russia. Sure. Right. Like that's sort of like you know, spies like us. Or God knows how many other shows. Every, over every the years. Bond film. Every yeah. Bond yeah, film yeah. that was set in Russia. Yeah. You know, it was the Russian character is the ice queen, the she, frigid. She has the same haircut as Natasha Badenov from the uh, from Rocky to Bullwinkle. Too. Yeah, she seems seems <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. And and but oh, but deep down inside, there's this like lusty, you know, mm-hmm. kind of you know, sex pot or whatever. Yeah. And then you've got the idea of, you know, if the if the the Soviets, if they just got a little taste of capitalism, yeah, they'd flip. It's like they have the idea that they had no actual convictions to the Soviet <laughs> cause. Yeah, that it's just they didn't know any better. They just didn't eat cheeseburgers. Yeah, and if they yeah. could, they could just get a you know a Hostess cupcake in their yeah. mouth, yeah. it'd all be all different. Uh-huh. And so that's I think this movie is really important in kind of establishing a lot of those. It was like mm-hmm. the first kind of satire of the Soviet Union that got produced. Yeah. So and it really kind of set I think the standards that we used. Gosh, the next 60 years about how we thought about the Soviet. So uh, these gentlemen have each put in their four choices. Um, the one choice that I had was the one episode of the of Gilligan's Island where things got a little bit serious. <laughs> and it was called Gilligan versus Gilligan. What? Yes. And I 100% know what you're talking <laughs> about right now. <laughs> and uh, in this, uh, Gilligan, uh, Bob Denver plays not just um, uh, Gilligan, uh, he also plays a lookalike who is a Russian spy. Please tell me he has a goatee. Please help tell me he has Stre- a goatee. Stretching his acting Does chops he have a goatee? on this yeah. Stre- Stretching his acting chops. Does he have a goatee? There's no goatee, unfortunately. Idiots. <sighs> um, and, you know, I, I won't dig too deep into this because <laughs> I'll just say Gilligan was my babysitter uh, as a latchkey kid for about four years. And uh, I think I probably watched every episode like 100 times. And Between you and Michael, we are the Gilligan's Island podcast of record. So, um, l- listeners, let us know if you'd like to hear talk, more discussion of Gilligan wrestling. <laughs> With the Rocky films, <laughs> the replacements of the band, the replacements, the band, uh, or or uh, Michael's trips to Europe. 
because uh, we can certainly or Jeff's uh, Jeff's Jeff's uh, appearances my as bad Elvis Vegas, my bad Vegas kicks. Um, so that was one of my favorites, and I got I, I got to say it's actually one of the first things I remember of somebody playing a Russian or a Russian spy or something as a kid. I don't think I even knew what that was or why that was. I think so. the first one I saw with that was a WKRP in Cincinnati episode. Oh, really? <laughs> Uh, where there was like a Russian, I think there was like a Russian ballet dancer uh-huh. that was coming over, and for some reason they were being interviewed, and I think Bailey wound up falling in love with like his translator. <laughs> oh wow! They, he tried to. They tried to figure out how he could deport de- get, or get defected. Defect. Oh, okay. They couldn't do it. <laughs> that was the first thing I think. Time I think I remember mm-hmm. seeing something Russian like that. Okay, Bailey or Bailey? Are you Bailey? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. all day, all day long. Was WKRP not on repeat in your life? No, I kind of missed it a little okay. bit. Okay. There was always a... Was um, Mork and Mindy a Russian allegory? Was he supposed to be a weir- weirdo from another country, from another planet? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know. We didn't get into allegories at all, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but he was wearing a red outfit, and he did have a special salute, so I don't know if that's... And he did have to talk to the leader. Yeah. Mork, come in, awesome. Come in, awesome. And the Soviets oh. traveled in eggs, right? <laughs> Uh, isn't that what's is that how they they got uh they got Jonathan Winters into space? <laughs> it was a giant egg. So Michael and uh, Richard had some really fun choices. In in general, I couldn't really find a through line. I normally try to examine uh, in a little bit of a transactional analysis what's going All right. on. All right, we did it. All right. <laughs> Fucked them up. But you cracked in me. In Soviet Russia, through line finds you, <laughs> which makes me think you're both spies. You're both <laughs> Russian spy. Um, so I'm just going to list off the ones that I thought were really compelling and really fun choices. Um, I, I think what I found is kind of a through line is some of them re- went between kind of entertainment to social commentary on this continuum between. Okay, so uh, the ones that I thought were really cool, and I'm just going to, I think we can all just decide that on the number one spot is Ivan Drago from Rocky IV, right? Because Yeah, we both chose him. I we think both that's... chose him. Um, so they each get a point for that. So this is iconic character. And um, if if we don't choose him, he will break you. <laughs> death from above. Yeah, death from above. Uh, and an- another thing, just because I it's thematic for Richard, I'm really both of you, but it seems like Richard, uh, if there is a category of like uh, favorite Mexican food, he would say, there's this wrestler I love <laughs> who dresses like a taco. Right. <laughs> taco so, Santana. Like, yeah. <laughs> favorite French poets. Okay, well, there's this wrestler who recites po- French poetry, so I'm going to pick her. That would be a pretty good heel. Like Lanny Popov crossed with Lord of the Rougeaus. So uh, I'm going to go with uh, Nikolai Volkov and the um, the legion of Russian wrestlers. Um, and then just because, uh, so those, those that's two for Richard. Now it's going to be two for Michael. Um, just love the deep cut of Worker and Parasite cartoon from The Simpsons. And this just shows Michael's uh, crazy crammed uh, mothballed brain full of pop culture that uh, I hope never opens up too far on this this podcast will just be inundated is, is, is there a, speak you talk about me me with wrestling but is there a topic that Michael cannot find a Simpsons a Simpsons reference yeah. to? they've done it all first and then Red Sun this was an eye-opener for me because I was uh, I'm more of a Marvel guy than DC and uh, I really enjoyed the both the art and the story of, of this and it also did a really good job as comics uh, can of telling a story that explores multiple sides of a topic. So, hey, this has been the Mount Rushmore podcast. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold we're on. getting we're getting some scoring from the Russian judges. What? <laughs> <laughs> and they're giving a perfect six to Katarina Vit. I oh, don't my, understand. This is unprecedented. Hey, 
It's yeah. it's it's international scoring. What can you do? All right. Well, you know, uh, unfortunately, that means we don't get the free French fries at McDonald's. By the way, Katerina Vitt, not a perfect six, perfect ten. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, this has been Rushmore. I'm Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael.